every uh, week during our Blessed Battle series through the words of Jesus and the Beatitudes, we've done a, a scripture reading together. And so today we are uh, really delighted to have Journey Lemoyne do our Beatitude reading for us. Thank you, Journey. From the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thank you. Good job. Journey. Um, couple things. One, Tracy, I do have a clicker, so we may be fighting over. Um, yeah, it's, it's a control thing, Enneagram One. So just between her and I, we'll be fighting over that, which is awesome. Two, give it up for yourselves. We've covered all nine Beatitudes already over the last several weeks. Um, so super exciting. And um, today we're going to do a wrap up. And I have a lot of content prepared where we can zoom out and really focus on the battle portion of the context that the Beatitudes went into. And uh, here we have our sermon series art, logo art, or um, art, which is Banksy's work of art called Love is in the Air, also known as Flower Thrower. Wow, we got some volume there. And uh, I, I kind of call this Kill Him with Kindness. So it's sort of this... Uh, ironic piece of work where we're in this battle, but the way we engage is very different than the world. It's an upside-down kingdom type values. So I've invited a couple people to share sort of a testimony in light of this series. The first person I want to welcome up is B. Dennis. You may have heard her sing with us before. She is uh, in the drama therapy program at K-State, relatively new to our church community. And so I asked her if she would just share a few reflections. Come on up with us this morning. Good morning, church family. Good morning. <laughs> so like Pastor Ben said, my name is B. I am a drama therapy graduate student here at Kansas State. I am also the only professing Christian out of a cohort of 15 people, which means there's a lot of interesting conversations that I get to have with my classmates. I'm actually writing a play and a project right now about a certain set of Christian ethics, and I'm getting a lot of pushback. Um, even so much so that I was talking to one of my classmates a couple of weeks ago, and she said to me, she's like, B, I love the way you express your faith, but I feel like it makes your life hard. And I said to her, you're assuming that practicing my faith is meant to make my life easier. <laughs> and I just keep having these hard conversations with my classmates and getting a lot of pushback. And I keep coming back to blessed are the peacemakers. I actually had a great conversation with Pastor Sarah about this, about how we're meant to walk into these hard situations and talk with people, even when we get pushed back, even when the people who love us might misunderstand us. And I have to remind myself that I'm not fighting them. I'm not fighting my classmates. I'm not fighting my loved ones who don't believe. I'm fighting powers and principalities. And that the only way 
I can get through to them is entrusting them to God. And so I can handle the pushback. I can handle the misunderstanding because all the good things I could get from them understanding me and accepting me, I count it all as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Awesome. Great. Thank you, B. That was awesome. That was so good. Awesome. I also asked um, Justin Kastner, Dr. Kastner, to come up and share with us and a little of an introduction for uh, Justin. He's a professor in the Department of Diagnostic Medicine slash Pathobiology at K-State University. That's not really how I know him. He's, he's become a, a, a good friend and actually played a significant role in my own spiritual journey even before we planted Tallgrass Church in 2018. And he's also an Anglican priest here in town, believe it or not. He is an Anglican priest that leads the Trinity Canton community, and he's also involved in our church with his family. In fact, he and Susie uh, hosted the, the last Impact event Friday night in their home. Um, so I think it's just so cool that his family and that you guys are involved in our church and also shepherding elsewhere. So without further ado, just Thanks, Ben. Yeah, Friday night was a lot of fun. Thanks to Misty for organizing it, and thanks to Allie's parents for providing the sweet potato-laced uh, casserole of sorts that I ate three times. It's really good. Yeah, the benefit of having these events at our house is that we sometimes increase the chances of putting the leftovers in our fridge for the remainder. Um, yeah, so this series has, has been fantastic for uh, me personally. Um, simultaneous to the Beatitude series, Susie, my wife, um, gang pressed me into doing something very cultural here in town. Um, we are both in the Manhattan Community Choir, uh, gearing up through late hours, long practices, many recitals for a uh, Christmas-themed um, performance. Right, Susie? And Susie is more, uh, she has a better voice than me. She's a legitimate alto um, I think I'm a tenor. That's kind of what I guessed. Um, so that's where I sit at, at the um, rehearsals. But <clears throat> one of the songs, we're singing these like you know, jingle bells and other kind of Christmas themed songs that you would expect. But then also quite a few fairly sophisticated Latin, Latin and Greek um, uh, songs. And one of the songs that we have to sing, we have to repeat over and over again is a phrase that actually Dave, when he preached on uh, Blessed Are the Merciful, and that's uh, not Kyrie Irving, but Kyrie Eleison, uh, Christ have mercy. And so every um, Tuesday night, or uh, most Tuesday nights, we're singing this song and that, that very phrase. And I'm just taken back to Dave's message, which was actually really heartening for me, because one of the things he said was that he, he linked... Um, Christ's mercy to the story of the Good Samaritan and how Jesus is, if you like, the, um, the best, the most impressive, the most influential Good Samaritan in our lives. And he's the one who has shown us mercy. And that takes a lot of the heat off of where this mercy uh, power comes from. And so I'm really grateful to Dave for uh, pointing that out. And great, great series um, when you were talking about things that we maybe don't understand well, 
Um, I think the Beatitudes for me is one of those. Um, it's got to be like one of the least practiced teachings in the New Testament. Um, and so I'm just really, I've been really challenged and um, so glad that, um, as B said, that we have a Lord and Savior who's so merciful. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Justin. Thank you. Good job. It's always a risk handing the mic to someone who also preaches, you know, <laughs> and it did great, did wonderful. Um, all right. So we are going to wrap up this sermon series. And as I said, we're going to zoom kind of way out. And there's a, a lot of biblical content I will throw at you. If you want to take notes, you're more than welcome to. We also upload all of our teaching, uh, teaching notes and PowerPoint online. You can always find that there. Uh, by the Monday or Tuesday after we're done. So I, I, I've chosen, uh, I want to focus on the, what I think is kind of the most difficult teaching in all of the Sermon on the Mount. And so the Beatitudes, of course, starts the Sermon on the Mount, and then Jesus goes on to teach uh, for a bit longer. So in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48, we read this, and this is Jesus, again, speaking to this crowd of people. You've heard it said Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. By the way, the Old Testament doesn't have a teaching about hating your enemy. So somehow that had gotten added on. Uh, God's heart through and through has always been love your neighbor. Uh, but somehow they were thinking as they looked around at the other cultures and how in societies, how they related, you know, of course, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the good and the evil, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Or pick the worst person that you know of. They also love those who are in their tribe or in their group. And if you greet only your people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So be different than those around you. Again, these are the upside-down kingdom values that uh, God had begun ushering in all through his revelation through Scripture, but really culminated in the person, the teachings, the actions of Jesus, ultimately demonstrated on the cross, you know, where he, he is literally dying from uh, people who have crucified him. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. So he demonstrates his sonship. Not only is he just born, you know, son of God, but he is perfected through obedience. And and that's what it means to be a a child of God, right? Is to act like the father, to act like the father. So Jesus shows us that. So if Jesus is going to teach us, you know, um, love your enemies, that kind of begs the question, well, who is my enemy? And so today we're calling this talk, Love Your So-Called Enemy. All right, I'm going to flip us to Luke's account of the Beatitudes. So this is often called Sermon on the Plain, because in, in Matthew's account, he goes up the mountain and teaches. In Luke's account, he comes down the mountain and teaches on a level place. And so this teaching is probably a compilation of just all of Jesus' teachings, and Luke has compiled it in a different setting, different format. But, you know, Jesus was an itinerant preacher going around, giving the same types of messages over and over again. 
So we're going to look at the context that Luke provides for us as we consider the spiritual battle surrounding the Beatitudes. So in Luke 6, we read in verse 17, Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people. So pay attention where they're from. From all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon. So Luke is very intentional when he puts in detail into the text, right? So we're going we're gonna to revisit this town of Tyre. Verse 18, they had come to hear him. They had come to be healed of their diseases. And those that were troubled by impure spirits were cured. And all of the people tried to touch him because they realized power was coming from him and healing them all. So we have this, this man, Jesus, in the, in the midst of his ministry, in a very real place in, in history, at a, at a real time, and all of these people are gathering to him, including from the towns of Tyre and Sidon. Okay, here's, our, here's where our Bible study kind of takes on, or takes off. We're going to turn to the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 28. And here we're going to read a description of the ruler of Tyre. Now, the, the ruler that we read about in Ezekiel has long since passed away, um, you know, because that was hundreds of years prior to Jesus' life and ministry when Ezekiel prophesied. But I want you to consider that his audience would have been well aware of the Old Testament scripture, right? So they would have understood when you see that, okay, people from Tyre are here. They would have had going off in their mind, Ezekiel 28, Ezekiel 28. We miss that as we read the scriptures often because we are separated by time, language, culture. We have to dig in and do the study. And that's one of the reasons we preach. So let's read about the ruler of Tyre. And as I read this, do not, do not read into me insinuating that this is a description of any current political leaders. Don't read that. This is a general description of what tends to happen with the influence of power and money in earthly rulers, okay? So here's the, the ruler of Tyre. It says, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to the ruler of Tyre, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In the pride of your heart, you say, I am a God. I sit on the throne of a God in the heart of the seas. But you are not a God. You are a mere mortal, not a God, though you think you are as wise as a God. By your wisdom and understanding, you have gained wealth for yourself and amassed gold and silver in your treasuries. By the way, Wisdom, knowledge, competency, all these are gifts from God that have been used by these earthly, this earthly ruler to build his own kingdom. He says, by your great skill in trading, you have increased your wealth, and because of your wealth, your heart has grown proud. Well, I'm going to have to um, re-download my notes here, I just realized. One moment. Timed out. Okay. So we have this context here. And you can imagine, if you read the Old Testament, the, the God's people went through a lot of hardship under a lot of oppressive rulers. And they themselves were also oppressive at times, for sure. And that's just been consistent in human, in human history. As oppressive rulers rise and, and create their and build their own kingdoms. And uh, 
Paul, if we fast forward to Paul's uh, letter to the church in Ephesus, um, he says, you were once darkness. So if you even think about your own personal life, you probably haven't amassed wealth and power to the point that the ruler of Tyre has. But now you are, are light in the Lord. So live as children of light. Be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. And Paul says, because the days are evil. So those of us, all of us who've walked with the Lord now, once were darkness. So we can cast our stones at this ruler of Tyre, but if we would have had that same opportunity, the, the, the level of depravity or of darkness that we could have gone to um, could, could also be astounding. So the days are evil. The days still are evil. So we're reading about this Old Testament ruler. Well, let's fast forward to the 20th century and ask the question, you know, does power and wealth tend to produce that same type of ruler? And of course, this is a chilling look at three rulers of the 20th century. All, if we account for their legacy, about 150 million human lives destroyed. So when we look back through history and we're like, man, that was bad. We've really come a long way the heart of man, the, the wickedness, the, the evil of the days, it, it continues even into the, to the modern day. So that's, of course, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, who was uh, one of the allies of the West World War II, so he kind of gets a little bit of a better rap in history, and Mao Zedong, who killed more than Hitler and Stalin combined. So we understand, uh, you know, by the way, that just when the world was trying to make a case that evil's not real, doesn't exist, that's when Hitler rose to power and people are like, uh, actually, maybe it does, you know, because what else do we call that? So Paul, a little later in his book of, of Ephesians, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, writing to these people who are once in darkness, now living in light. He says, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And this is key for us this morning. This is the, what the Bible teaches about our enemies. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And B rolled this into her testimony our battle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, it was there then, it's still here now, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand, stand firm then, stand your ground. Not, not like the stand your ground laws, but like stand your ground and then live out the Beatitudes. Upside down kingdom. So our enemy, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Your battle's not against your child at bedtime. Even when you see that look in the eye and you're like, it's bad. Like, <laughs> your battle is not against your neighbor whose dog poops on your lawn. Your battle is not against your uncle across the political spectrum, across the table at Thanksgiving. Your enemy is not the person behind the screen commenting on your amazing social media post. Your enemy is not the politician you can't stand or those who put him in power. 
and so on and so forth, okay? We understand this conceptually, but we need, we need to understand this and live it out. And so stick with me here. Let's continue to read. Now we're going to read not about the ruler of Tyre, but the king of Tyre. So this is important. Follow this jump here. We just read about the earthly ruler of Tyre. Ezekiel 28, he goes on to say, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Now I want you to take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, This is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. So start thinking, okay, who, who is this king of Tyre? You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite, emerald, topaz, onyx, jasper, lupus lazula, turquoise, and beryl. It's pretty good with that. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. This is not really sounding like an earthly human figure. This is starting to sound like some spiritual being, some divine almost being. The, the oracle here, Ezekiel, goes on. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you, God says. God ordained this king of Tyre as a guardian cherub. It's like, that's like angelic language. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found inside you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the, the beautiful fiery stones. We have a description here of the enemy of God, not flesh and blood. You know, the adversary, the devil, Satan, many different names for him. That is the king, that's who the king of Tyre is at this, this spiritual battle realm. There's an earthly ruler, but above that, there's actually a spiritual battle occurring. Influences, forces, uh, the, the authorities, the spiritual forces of evil that we just read about in Ephesians 6. Last slide about this king of Tyre. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you've desecrated your sanctuaries. I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You've come to a horrible end and will be no more. So these prophetic oracles that we read about, they're, they're, they don't all be ful- they're not all fulfilled in one fell swoop. They're, some of it's fulfilled early, some of it's still yet to come. But behind the prince of Tyre is this, this, the king of Tyre, this, this spiritual force of evil that one, way, one day will be shown to be what he truly is, completely opposed to humanity, wanted to take the place of humans who were made in the image of God. We were made in the image of God to rule over his earth. And somehow this king of Tyre was not happy about that and in his own um, pride uh, rebelled against the good God. We read in uh, 1 Corinthians, so this is, it sheds a little insight on, on what's happening here. Uh, 
Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Listen to this. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Remember Satan, his interactions with Jesus, trying to get Jesus to, to um, disobey God and all of these things. And then, and then God, Jesus is wrestling with Satan in the garden. And then all of a sudden, Jesus dies on the cross. What do you think was going on in the heart and mind of the king of Tyre, this enemy of God? He's thinking, surely this is victory. I have crucified the Messiah. This is amazing. But actually, that was his complete and utter failure. And um, uh, yeah, he lost. So this is Michael Heiser's description uh, of, of what's happening here. By God's design, the scripture presents the Messiah in terms of a mosaic profile that can only be discerned after the pieces are assembled. So what Paul tells us in this passage, if the plan of God for the Messiah's mission had been clear, the powers of darkness would never have killed Jesus. They would have known that his death and resurrection were the key to reclaiming nations forever. The pathway to victory for those who follow Jesus is the Beatitudes. It's not aggression. It's not power over. It's come under. It's serve. It's to... to, to rejoice even when persecuted is completely opposite of the way the world works. This plays out over and over again. We, we read about the, the prince, the ruler of Tyre, and the king of Tyre. Read the story of Pharaoh and the little g-gods that are, that are influencing behind him. Uh, even we read in the scriptures with Satan or Judas. The, the scriptures say Satan entered Judas. He was influenced by spiritual forces of evil. Judas is not the enemy. He's flesh and blood. The enemy is much bigger than that. And all, this, all the while, earthly leaders are still culpable for their actions. So this isn't let anyone off the hook. We're still responsible for our actions. We can't blame it on spiritual forces of evil. But we can understand that there is more going on than meets the eye when we interact with one another, when we think about what's happening on the global stage. This description of what occurs on the cross, I, I, I love this in the context of this spiritual battle. So Paul says to the church in Colossae, he says, Jesus forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And so when, when uh, someone was crucified, they would put a, an account of their wrongdoing above them, nail it to the cross, they, couldn't, they didn't come up with anything for Jesus, so they just said, hey, this man is king of the Jews, or he says he's king of the Jews. But imagine nailing all of our wrongdoing to that cross, right when the enemy, Satan, is gloating. Uh, you're terrible, you're despised, you're shameful, you're wicked, and it's crucified to the cross. The Messiah is being crucified. And in that moment, it says, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, by the cross. And we're called to follow this man, Jesus Christ. So I know I'm throwing a lot of passages, but I wanted to, to introduce this passage from Peter. 
who's writing to a people who are uh, following Christ, who, are, who have experienced, they've been dispersed across the land. They're trying to follow Christ under the reign of Nero. And Nero is a bad dude. Uh, one, one of the, the rumors is that he would throw uh, parties and light up his party by uh, burning humans out on the torch. Uh, that's pretty nasty, right? And it's to, into that kind of context where Peter says, in his letter, he says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So in the most difficult of circumstances where people are facing persecution, now be alluded to some persecution she's experiencing, this is like shedding blood type persecution. And even in that context, he says, give reason with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. When I was growing up in the church and at Christian camps and things, this passage was always used to push forward Christian apologetics, like defenses for the faith. So someone will ask you, you know, about your hope and you'll give them an argument you know, related to the historicity of the Bible or something like that. But what Peter says is, no, your, your evidence is your good behavior. People see how you're living out the Beatitudes and they may be reviling you, they may be persecuting you, uh, making fun of you, but eventually they're gonna ask, how? I mean, basically B's testimony was perfect. Like, what's going on with you that you live this way, right? Sadly, it's flip-flopped in our culture. People are staying out of the church often because of the bad behavior of the Christians in the church who have the very marching orders that would lead us to, to relate with gentleness and respect. So we're to arm ourselves in uh, chapter four, verse one of First Peter. Arm ourselves. That's military language. Arm ourselves with the same attitude as Christ who suffered in his body. So this is, this is all, this is good stuff, okay? So our enemy is not flesh and blood. And I think this is a timely uh, thing to consider as we head into this political cycle as we head home for Thanksgiving, these, all these environments are, are difficult and, and our enemy is not flesh and blood. So how do we then respond? I got a few um, action steps for us and then we'll close with some singing. So first, it is good to cultivate the fire in the belly. So Jesus, he, he looks and he, he is, is not like what he sees when he is born and he grows up, right? He's flipping tables. He is disrupting systems. It's good to cultivate that fire in the belly, but you've got to contain the fire in the belly, right? This is uh, Ron's talk on meekness. Meekness is strength under control. Other-centered, not others. Um, other-centered, other-serving, not self-centered, self-serving, so we don't want to become a, a milquetoast version of Christianity that doesn't care deeply about the wrongs in the world and, and doesn't have a fire burning inside of us because of the frustration we have over what we see that's not right. We have an eye to when Christ will return and make all things right, but we have work to do to work on his behalf as his image bearers here 
and now. So we do need a fire in the belly. But we also have to cultivate courageous compassion. Another way to put this is we need to humanize humans. Uh, humanity is, is fairly unique in the species in, in the way we will hurt one another and harm one another. Not many species act like that. Like we have to work to humanize other humans and develop empathy for someone who looks different than you but is more like you than you could even think. Each person you interact with, they are simultaneously in the image of God, right? But yet also uh, depraved or at least capable of great depravity. So it shouldn't surprise us when a human does something amazing, but it also shouldn't surprise us when someone is uh, mean or rude to you. Jesus embodied this type of courageous compassion. Think about uh, when we read his journey in Matthew verse 9. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, sort of what he does, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming good news of the kingdom, healing every sickness and disease. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. So think of Jesus looking over. Now he has become human. Uh, he, is, he himself made in the image of God, born to look like human, humans. And he sees the crowds and he's filled with compassion. The very people who would then turn around and call for his crucifixion because they were harassed, they were helpless, they were like sheep without a shepherd. So we need to cultivate courageous compassion. Third, stand and pray. So we read in, in Ephesians 6, we've already read stand, like stand firm. A verse later in Matthew 9, Jesus Right after he, he sees the crowds and he has compassion because they're harassed, they're helpless, he says to his disciples, this harvest right here, it's plentiful, but the workers are few. So as a church, if we're thinking, man, we, we want to reach people with good news. When we first started our merger experiment, I remember Josh threw out a stat, like 50-some thousand in our town, 80-some thousand in our metro area, and as we've done research, like 10% or less are meaningfully connected to a community of faith. So we may be post-Christian, but the harvest is very uh, ripe, but the workers are still few. So he says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. There's a spiritual battle raging, but these people, they need to know this good news of Christ. And Paul puts it like this in, in um, Ephesians 6, after he lists off the, the, the armor of God. He concludes it with this, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. But here's, here's the important part. He says, pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So here's Paul literally in prison under the oppression of the Roman Empire and he doesn't 
he doesn't call them to free him from prison, right? He calls them to pray that he would have opportunity to declare this good news of Jesus, the one who introduced the Beatitudes. And it's, it's crazy, Paul's uh, influence, in, even in that Praetorium Guard, I mean, he, he positioned himself, not to free himself, but to have opportunity to declare this. Ultimately, it cost him his life as well as he followed Christ's leadership. So we're called to pray, stand and pray. Set my timer here. Yeah, I needed to. And finally, all that is said and done, we're to advance. In Matthew 10, right after Jesus is like, these people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The harvest is, is plentiful. Pray for laborers. Do you know who those laborers were? the people Jesus asked to pray for them, the 12. In chapter 10, he sends out the 12 to go and be his hands and feet. You know, he said before he died, he said, greater works will you do. It's like, well, there's a lot more of us than there was of just Jesus. So we can do much greater than Christ ever could accomplish in his earthly ministry. Jesus is the one who equips us in his way to send us out back into the world to love all of humanity, even our so-called enemies. I'm gonna invite the worship team up. And I wanted to share one last story from the scriptures. Um, There's this this, uh, interaction where Elisha, he has this servant and they're in this very precarious situation and they're completely surrounded um, by a different army and it looks like there's no way out. So this is in 2 Kings 6. It says, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. So this is Elisha the prophet and his servant is looking like, oh my gosh, we are completely surrounded. And he says, oh no, my Lord, referring to Elisha, what are we gonna do? And Elisha, calm, cool, and collected, he says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Open his eyes. And then it says, the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Just for a moment, he had a glimpse at the spiritual reality. The victory is already won Christ is for us. It may look like we're surrounded, you know, as, a, as a, a remnant, as Christ followers in a culture that's increasingly hostile. But if we could just open our eyes and see the big picture, um, God is at work. So let me pray for us and we'll sing about that very thing. Father, thank you for our community. Thank you for this sermon series where we've learned so much about Uh, how to live like Jesus lived. Um, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we could know the hope that you've called us to, so that we could know the glorious inheritance that we have in Christ as followers of Christ. I thank you that Christ himself is our older brother, that he paved the way to live out the very things he taught. I pray that you would give us... um, a sense of this this spiritual reality that is all around us when 
the things that feel real maybe are our hurt and pain or disappointments or failures. I pray that you'd give us a sense of the victory that we already have in Christ and that the war against the forces of evil is already won, but yet we're still here in the battle. I pray that you would be our lead and guide into this next season. Thank you for what's ahead for our church. As a community, I pray for each one here individually uh, that whatever next step you have in mind for them, that they would be uh, courageous to take that step. We love you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. This teaching was recorded by Tallgrass at the Well. We're building community together by inviting people into the way of Jesus. For more resources like this, visit tallgrassatthewell.church.